I just remember just going through the motions on a daily basis and not understanding a lot of details. I don't have a lot of memories. I think I blocked a lot of those things out, but I just remember waking up to an alarm clock every day and hating my life and feeling like it was out of control and wondering what I did wrong. And next thing you know, I'm waking up in the parking lot at work, basically not remembering driving there. And this kind of continued on for months. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community. In the community, you get access to our global asset allocation strategies and stock portfolios, our investment research weekly live sessions, and the risk reduction lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Go to MyWorstInvestmentEver.com right now to claim your exclusive podcast listener lifetime discount. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Tony Watley. Tony, are you ready to join the mission? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to share the worst investment I've ever made. <laughs> yeah thank you yes like yes of all things you've asked me to come on the show and share the worst but by sharing the worst we're going to see your best i'm sure let me introduce you to the audience tony is an entrepreneur business mentor best-selling author podcast host and speaker there's four words that he often refers to wealth health mindset and relationships which i'm sure we're going to learn more about he is best known as co-founder of LS1 Tech, an online automotive community that grew into the largest of its kind. The website grew to over 300,000 registered members and was later sold for millions in only five years. Amazingly, it was just his part-time business. Tony shares his mindset and business strategies within his book, Side Hustle Millionaire. He also teaches entrepreneurs how to start, scale, and sell their businesses within his podcast and consulting brand, Three, six, five, driven. Tony, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you bring to this wonderful world. I didn't really understand what my unique value was until in my 40s. I'll be 50 in a couple of months for context there. But, you know, I think that I've always been very driven. I've always had a lot of discipline. I've always tried to be the best of the things I do. I jump into things and I try to study and become the, you know, just proficient at a level that I would accept for myself. And that's not always a competition against everybody else. It's really a competition against myself and trying to better myself. And the value that I finally discovered in 2017 when I started this brand was that most people for the last 20 years of my life have been asking me for business advice. How do you start this? How do you grow this? Because I've started many companies. Some of the companies that like the one you mentioned, I had 12 different former staff members of mine that I helped launch their businesses. And those have grown to seven and eight figure businesses. So I've literally created multimillionaires from people that used to work for me. And they would always tell me like, you should be doing this publicly. You should be teaching people this stuff. And to be honest, I was just really a private person. I had a very comfortable life, good level of income. I was really good at being the MVP behind a logo instead of stepping into the spotlight and just putting myself out there. I had a lot of insecurities around being on camera. I didn't like the recorded voice and I just had stage fright kind of situation. And I just, 
I'm used all these convenient excuses not to do what I'm doing. But then I was in a racing car accident in 2015. And that really started to shift my focus on, I could have died that night and I didn't die. So why am I still here? And then I started to realize that time is something that could be taken away from us in an instant. And so I started to thinking about how do I put my purpose above my fear? And that's what the brand is and everything I do now is I help people with their confidence and their business and doing truly what I was meant to do. And it took me a long time to figure that out. It's such a powerful lesson. It takes time to learn that, you know, like we don't learn those things when we're young. And I was just thinking about, you know, you said that time can be taken from us. And I was thinking about a friend of mine who's a really lovely guy and like a lot of energy and all kinds of stuff. And he and I both like motorcycles. I stopped riding them a while ago just because I'm into reducing risk, as you probably know from the podcast name. And basically, he got on his motorcycle and went out for a weekend and never came back. You know, he had an accident that was so bad that his life was over almost instantly. And you just think, yeah. So for everybody listening out there, you know, the point is, is that you've got a limited amount of time. We never know when it's going to end. And now is the time to make your impact. You know, there's something that you said, Tony, on a recent episode of yours. You were talking about you wanted an unordinary life, you know, and I was listening to that thinking, okay, that's interesting. And you were talking about, you know, ordinary, extraordinary, that type of thing. Maybe you could just tell us kind of the way you think about what life you want. Yeah, I think that I've always tried to live an interesting life. And I started thinking about some people think, well, that's extraordinary. And that that word, I always look at the words and the meanings of the words, whether it's the Latin meanings or things like this, but two words, extraordinary. And I was kind of joking on that episode because I think extra large just means a larger large. Extra this is always extra whatever the word, you know, the suffix word is. And so when you think about the word extraordinary, doesn't that just mean extra plain or extra average or extra boring? I mean, it's it's funny how we use words and we combine them and they're supposed to mean something better than they truly are if we look at the root meanings. So I said, maybe we should be really striving to be unordinary things that are truly different, the opposite of ordinary. And that's where I kind of came up with that. Great one. I love it. Yeah, I remember when I was younger, I really did feel like I didn't want to live an ordinary life. Part of the reason I moved to Thailand was just because I felt like, look, even if, if I'm doing the same job, I was working in a warehouse in a factory in, in Los Angeles for Pepsi. I was you know rising up in the company. But even if I came to a warehouse of Pepsi in Thailand which I had an opportunity to do after I moved here and in the manufacturing and all that still every single day I walk out of that factory, I'm in Thailand and all of a sudden it is no longer an ordinary life. And so I just, part of what drove me to come here, a lot of people see that I was successful in the financial world in Thailand, but the reality is I didn't come to that, here for that. I came to live an unordinary life. <laughs> yeah. That's a great example. i I would do the same thing. And, you know, the thing is that I basically lived two careers for a period of 20 years where I was equally driven in my oil and gas engineering profession. And I was on the executive path and I was a multiple six figure earner salary wise. And I was doing really good, good trajectory wise. And in the, in the meantime, I, my passion for cars is what led me to build these different businesses and the automotive performance space. And those are what made me a multimillionaire. But I did this the whole time while I was working because I was equally driven for different reasons. 
And people could see hints of my lifestyle. You know, people I'd work with or I'd get to know people and they come to the house and they see like, man, they sure do pay you a lot at the, at the job side. And, and most people didn't realize that, yeah, my multiple six-figure salary was actually my part-time income, if you think of it that way. Even though it was my full-time you know, investment, it was my part-time income. And so I even had it where I didn't want to commingle those two groups of the networks. I even had two different LinkedIn accounts. I saw you have a really good active LinkedIn account. And I used to have one that said Tony Watley hyphen cars and Tony Watley hyphen oil. And so I just kept those complete different lives apart, not because it was a conflict of interest, because I just felt like, hey, I have a network here and I have a network there and they don't really need to know each other. Mm. It's interesting because, yeah, one of the challenges I face is I'm involved in so many different things that my brand can be a lot of different things. And so if you get caught up in that, you end up being, you know, nothing for anyone. So I think that's a, a great lesson. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, you touched on the four key words that I base my show on, which is health, wealth, mindset, and relationships. And it just so happens to be that one of my worst investments was in the relationships section. Now, I can understand there's a lot of listeners out there that go through some tough relationships and maybe divorces and things like that. It's pretty common nowadays, but you know, this is my story. This happened, really started around 1999. And to give you context there, I was two years out of college. I was working an entry-level engineering job, low, low-level salary. And to me, the, everything was looking brighter in my life. Like I finally finished school. I put myself through school working construction and waiting tables and things like that. So I finally graduated, got this big boy job, you know, that I could use my degree. And I decided to move closer to downtown Houston and just do what single dudes do and like go party and like just kind of, you know, live the the youth of my 20s, which I didn't get to enjoy while I was in engineering school. And on the course of that, I met a, a woman and and we had an unplanned pregnancy. OK, and so me growing up in a household, we try to do the right thing. And she was kind of the same way in her background. We just try to make it work. We were really never a, in a relationship or a loving relationship. We would just hang out a lot and party a lot. And, you know, she got pregnant and we decided we're going to just keep the child and raise the child. And and so I wanted to do the right thing, of course. And this lot of a lot of this pressure comes from society where you worry about, especially as a man, like, you know, you're going to be a deadbeat dad and things like that if you don't move in with this woman and marry them and do the right thing. So, you know, I had an apartment lease I couldn't break. So I basically just had to pay the both, both rents and I moved in with her and quickly we re really realized that it really just wasn't meant to be relationship wise. There was the, the connection just wasn't there. And there was a lot of pressure from both of our families. And, you know, there was a lot of disrespect I was receiving from that household, which I wasn't used to. I grew up with a very loving set of parents who are 50 plus years married and I just didn't see people interact that way. So I truly wasn't someone I should have been with. And I just stuck it out because I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I didn't want to disappoint my friends or have this label of uh, stigma around it. And and what happened is that investing this time and going into these things, I started to spiral down. I started to become a very, very bad version of myself where I was in a depressive state. Looking back retrospectively, I understood that I was in a depression state because I felt that 
leading up to that point, my life was doing great and everything was starting to improve and then the, the light was shining brighter. And then it kind of got dimmed really hard because something occurred that was beyond my control, which I didn't understand. Right. You know, for, for those that are curious about how you get pregnant, like why didn't you use, you know, birth control? Well, she was actually on birth control, but she also had her wisdom teeth removed during that period. And what we didn't understand was antibiotics neutralized birth control. And so she literally got pregnant when the birth control was no longer effective and that week after she had her teeth pulled. And so, you know, we were both kind of surprised by that. I know a lot of people still don't know that. I mean, you go get a antibiotics, you're, you're basically, you know, available to get pregnant and you just don't understand that. And so, man, it was tough. And there was times where I would basically wake up in the parking lot of my job and I was unemployed for about six months. There was an industry downturn that happened right during that period in oil. And so I was unemployed for six months, living off of credit cards, paying for two rents and just waiting tables and working as a mechanic on the weekends, just trying to just try to stay above water. And you know, we were way below water at this point. And, you know, I just remember just going through the motions on a daily basis and not understanding a lot of details. I don't have a lot of memories. I think I blocked a lot of those things out. But I just remember waking up to an alarm clock every day and hating my life and feeling like it was out of control and wondering what I did wrong. And next thing you know, I'm waking up in the parking lot at work, basically not remembering driving there. And this kind of continued on for months, this depressive cycle. And my friends didn't want to hang around with me. And I really didn't want to be around other people. And my health started to fade, kind of started just letting myself go. I wasn't eating enough and things like that. So, you know, eventually arguments just escalated and you know, my son was born in January of 2000 and I hung around for about another six months and it was just, it was painful because, uh, you know, I would come home from work and just in that depressive cycle and she would just say, here's your son. I'm going to go out and party with my friends. And I didn't hold that against her initially because she had been pregnant for nine months. And I was like, she couldn't go do those things, things that we used to enjoy together. Right. So I let her do that. And it just became a more toxic household environment. And she wouldn't support any of the things I was doing. I was teaching myself how to build businesses. I was teaching myself coding and photography and things because I wanted to build that online community that you mentioned. And and she would make fun of that. She would say, hey, that's a stupid idea. And, you know, guys talking about cars on the Internet, that's a waste of time. She would just say stuff like that. And so I knew, like, this is not the right person I should be with. And finally, one of the es arguments escalated to the point where she told me that, you know, when she was came back home from the weekend with her parents that she wanted me out. So I, I took that as a sign. I said, okay. And so I packed up what little I had and I went and found an apartment much closer to where I was working and basically got the cheapest place I could afford. And I just restarted my life. And I'll tell you that that was the hardest decision I ever made because when you have a son or a child and you're wondering who's going to be their stepfather or step, you know, mother, if you're, if you're listening and who's going to raise or influence my son. Cause I didn't know if I trusted her judgment at the time. And I was going through my own things and, you know, will he still be a part of my life? And like, man, there's a lot of gravity questions. I think way too many people stay in terrible relationships for the sake of their children. And they think that's honorable. But what I've learned from that experience is that that's terrible for the children because the children grow up watching the parents interact. And if it's a toxic relationship, they're going to learn that that's how relationships are. And they're going to grow up, unfortunately, and probably have equally toxic relationships because of the example that you set while they're learning in their formative years. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to be an active dad. I'm going to be involved in his life. And 
you know, he's 22 now and we're, we're great terms. And I was the weekend dad and he can confide in me. And we have this very high level of communication and trust now. And I love him. And it's like the, the worst situation in my life turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me, but also leaving that household, I could really start to focus on the businesses again and not have anybody like just in my ear telling me that I was doing, wasting my time. And as you, as you mentioned in the intro, that business ended up becoming the multi-million dollar business. So how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from this experience? I would say if you're in a bad relationship and you'll know because your gut tells you, and if someone's just pouring negativity or bringing out the worst in you on a daily basis, nobody deserves to live like that. You deserve better. Understand what your self-worth is. Don't worry about the judgment because all the fears that I had about my friends and my family judging me for leaving someone that was, you know, with a young, with a young child, it was actually the opposite was true. My friends were like, thank God you leave, you left because we could see how she was just ruining you. And even my parents who were very non-judgmental, they finally said something after I had left. They're like, we weren't, we weren't ever going to say anything to influence like your relationship. We know you're trying to work it out, but we are so glad that you're no longer with that woman. <laughs> and so sometimes the worst things that you fear that keep you in those situations are actually the opposite of the truth. Right. Uh, so many different things that come to mind in my case. The first thing I think of Will Rogers, I think it was, that said, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Oh, man. And I think that's, you know, step number one, stop escalating your problems. The second thing is that what most people don't realize is that it's a little bit like a caged animal behind glass walls. And then you drop the glass walls and they won't walk past that area because normally they would walk into that glass wall. I think that humans were a lot like that. And so one day you just get up the guts to say, I'm walking out and I'm taking a different direction. And then you kick yourself to saying, why did I wait so long? So I think yeah. the second thing, you know, the first thing, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. The second thing is just walk away is my second kind of takeaway because it just gets worse. You know, it just gets worse. And I think the third thing that I wrote down when I listened to you is be a role model to your kids. Yes. And that's, I think, a big message I get from what you're saying is that by standing up to the situation, getting out of a bad situation, you're setting a great example because, you, as you said, many people stay in that situation thinking that they're benefiting their kids. But I think you're a much bigger benefit to your kids by being a role model about the way that you allow other people to treat you, the way you treat other people, then that helps your child to then learn and be the type of person that doesn't make that, you know, move like we did. Yeah. Those are some of the things I took away. Anything else that you would add? No, I, I agree with those three assessments. I did feel trapped in that situation. I really did. And I remember, I remember driving to go just look for an apartment when I finally made the decision and I packed up my little suitcase. I remember just driving a couple miles outside of that, where we were at and feeling like all this weight had lifted off of my shoulders. And I felt like I started to see color again. Like I felt like I was living in black and white up until that point. And I really remember the overwhelming feeling of just, I made a decision. I'm going to live with it. I'm going to make it the best I can. Right. 
And it really did change my entire life. And I would not be where I am today if I would have stayed with her. I guarantee you that. And and my son and I's relationship probably wouldn't be nearly as good had I stayed in that relationship. And, you know, the the things that we learn about just, just walking away is strong. It's it's the hardest decision you'll make, but it's also probably the best decision most people will make. It also reminds me of my first relationship. I started kind of late. My first girlfriend was at the age of, I was 20, I think. I was living in Ohio. I went to California and I was a counselor at my godfather's camp in Los Angeles. And I met this amazingly beautiful LA woman and we just got to know each other over camp time and all this, and we kind of fell in love. And what I remember is that her family was very different from my mind. I think it was, like you just said, pretty loving, you know, treated in a nice way. But her father, and her family was super rich. And her father, I remember her telling a story of how her family went out for dinner, and her father got mad and walked out in the downtown LA, got in the car and drove home. Just left the whole family there, you know, and then they had to figure out how to get home and all that with the mom and the kids. And, and then I could see the way that they treated each other. And then I remember asking a friend of mine, I said to him, you know, we haven't seen each other for a while, but I just need to know, was I the type of person that fought all the time? He's like, never. And I was like, okay, thanks. It really woke me up. And that's when I started to realize but it, it, took, it took a lot to get out of it because I still, it was hard. And we moved up to, to uh, Oakland. She was studying at Berkeley. I didn't have any money. I was just living, we were living together. And we were trying to make it work and just couldn't, just couldn't make it work. And the only choice eventually was we had to break up. And there I was, an Ohio boy in Oakland, California, no education, trying to pay back my student loans by trying to stay in some community college, working a few different jobs, you know, just to make ends meet and keeping it all in, all in. And then my best friend came to pick me up a couple of months later and to move down to LA at that time. And um, when we got in the car, we packed up the little U-Haul and got in the car, started driving it. As I saw the city disappear, I just started bawling. And it was probably a half an hour of tears as I realized, you know, I'm free, but also all the pain of, you know, all of that. So you remind me of that that st stage of my life and all that I learned from it, you know. So let me ask you, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Besides, of course, yeah. the antibiotic story that you told us. Mm -hmm. That's something I didn't know. But besides that, how would you advise people that are going into relationships and all that? And, you know, what would you say? What would be one piece of advice? I would say that going into relationship, even if it's a a couple's thing or even of a business partnership, understand it, that it's essentially an emotional marriage, right? We probably have business partners that weren't always up to par, things like that. We we tend to join things when we want our friends involved or so, right? Maybe you want to go date someone that really started out as a friend of yours and Maybe the relationship or the chemistry just wasn't always there, but you try to make it work because they're a good human and they're the best available resource that you have. And, and you try to force the issue and, and no relationships are perfect. No relationships are easy, but what's lacking in most of the ones that are failing is proper communication and letting people know how you feel and how you react to things. And, you know, once you have the uh, communication established, 
And you can be very vulnerable in those moments and tell people like, this is how I feel. This is what I would like to see, or this is what you're doing that's affecting me. And, and they're not emotionally reacting. They're actually giving you proper responses to try to work things out. That's the where you want to be. And, and I've been with my wife over 20 years now. And, you know, it's a much different relationship. I mean, her parents were very much like mine. I mean, we're celebrating her parents' 50th anniversary this weekend. And my parents have done that a couple of years ago. So we both grew up in households where there was a mutual respect and people were willing to work things out instead of just escalate things and make this animosity that you see a lot of times in relationships. So, you know, I think that if you're going to get in a relationship with somebody, ask yourself real simple questions. Is this person bringing me energy or is this someone just robbing me energy? And this should also be the way you assess that your friends or the people that you surround yourself with, are they the ones that are taking your energy on a daily basis or are they bringing you energy? And you want to find people that bring energy, but you also have to be the person that brings energy for them and supports them. You can't just do a one-way thing because we see a lot of friendships like that. So, you know, if you want an easy assessment, when that individual calls you on your cell phone and you see their name on the screen, do you say, hey, I can't wait to have this conversation or do you go, uh, what now? And that'll tell you everything you need to know about that person, whether they're a friend or a lover or someone that you want to start a business with. Yep. Great advice. So what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? I would say that if you're already listening to podcasts, I invite you to come listen to my show. It's a lot of successful, amazing people doing some incredible things in the world. And it's called 365 Driven. And that's a not really a hustle and grind name. It's about just improving on a daily basis. You know, and what we talked about the health, wealth, mindset, and relationships. I just try to bring people with a lot of different advice and, and strategies and tips on how to improve our lives on a daily basis. Because I think that so many people are focused on one of those areas in life. They may be very healthy, but they're broke or they're very successful, but they're unhealthy or their relationships struggle because they're working 16 hour days and they think that that's what you're supposed to do. So I want a balanced success life. I understand that balance is defined by many different people in many different ways, but it's pretty clearly obvious when someone's lacking in one of those categories. So I really wanted to escalate everybody's awareness in each of those so that they have a more fulfilled and happy life. I love people to go out and get money and become as prosperous and wealthy as they can be, but not at the sacrifice of their happiness and their fulfillment. Because I think that if you pursue the happiness and fulfillment, the riches will come if you're really creating enough value in this world. So ladies and gentlemen, I'll have a link to that in the show notes, but you can just type in 365, the digits 365 driven. Excellent podcast. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My next 12 months, I'm really focused on writing my second book, more of a philosophical entrepreneurship book. A lot of the hardships and the awareness things that I've been going through for the last 10 years. I've been writing these little blog posts and things like that. So I'm uh, basically grouping this thought process and the things I've experienced, whether that's relationships or friendships or business or realizations. And I'm really pursuing something like a philosophical guide to living and, and, and excelling and, and things like that. So it's probably 80% finished and it'll be published later this year. Exciting. Well, let's get the links to that when you get it done and I'll have it in the show notes. Listeners, right. there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your lifetime discount exclusive for podcast listeners. 
As we conclude, Tony, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, Andrew, thank you for the opportunity to come on the show and connect with your audience. I always appreciate these. You know, it's, a, it's an honor. And you know, for the people out there that maybe are going through some hard things in their life, I would just like to give them some advice. I would like to say, hey, just realize that you've survived every adversity moment you've ever had in your life and that whatever your situation is right now, it's only temporary. So no matter how bad you think it is, start to focus on the things that are actually within your control and release the stress and the anxiety around things that are beyond your control because those are going to happen either way. So I think that nowadays stress is an option, but really be focused on fixing what you can actually control and let the other stuff just happen as it does. Great advice. And this show is all about authenticity. And I think, Tony, you've been a great role model in that, in sharing a vulnerable story that taught us all a great lesson. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth and our health. Fellow risk takers, let's celebrate that today we added one more person, Tony, to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.